It's the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. That's me. One year ago, we were on this podcast talking with street artist Sabo about what he had seen that day at the Capitol riot. Go back and take a listen to that episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. I know I was absolutely outraged with the behavior that day. And it goes without saying that people who committed acts of violence against persons should be punished. But that wasn't a lot of these people. It wasn't even a small fraction of the people, two million approximately, who were at the Trump speech that day. Well, things got out of control. And we're learning why. We're learning a lot more about what happened at the Capitol that day. And in just a moment, I'm going to talk with actor, director, producer Nick Searcy about his new movie, Capital Punishment. The Hollywood actor and director was in Washington, D.C. that day to show support for the rule of law and for Donald Trump. He was taking video. He believes that the election was stolen. He was very angry about what had happened. For me, I believe all the changes to the election law, changes that were made by the lawfare crowd under the guise of COVID emergencies, you understand, the zuck bucks going into the election offices that turned election offices, you know, the people we hire to count ballots, into a Joe Biden turnout machine. And I think that's what tipped the White House to the Democrats. It is not an unreasonable opinion to have. There was lots of chicanery, stopping counting at the same time in different states, not allowing observers, putting paper on the windows, changing election law by fiat. Nobody is in favor of that, except the Democrats, the real hardcore leftists who pulled this chicanery off. And in fact, we know there was chicanery. Why? Because obviously Democratic leadership now want to codify All of those changes in election law, they want to federalize all election law. All the stuff they did for the 2020 election, mail-in only ballots, weeks-long periods for voting, ballot harvesting, no signatures checked to vote, and no, no identification to vote. It's a recipe for vote fraud. It's exactly what they want. In the U.S. Constitution, not that it matters to these people, the elections are the purview of the states. And the Democrats now call this election law they want to promulgate, foist on the rest of the country, the John Lewis Voting Rights Law, which has nothing to do with the civil rights fighter, but it sounds good. And if you don't support it, you must be a racist. Get it? So, of course, the observance of the January 6th riot what the Democrats erroneously called an insurrection and intentionally call it that. The riot, which saw one death, that of a woman trying to break into the Capitol, a Trump supporter, Ashley Babbitt, is now couched uh, in the dire consequences of voting rights. That's ridiculous. They just want to codify everything that worked for them the last time and call everything else racist. I really prefer to go to polling places myself. I don't mind showing my identification to vote. I show it to get on a plane. I show it to buy alcohol. Why not? But now January 6th is being framed as being on the same level, and I'm not making this up, Pearl Harbor and 9-11 and other fateful days in American history. Nobody's buying that. Public opinion polls show nobody's buying it. 
But Democrats are going to keep doing it and keep talking in that regard because they want to sell somebody somewhere on the idea that to be opposed to what they are proposing is somehow racist or wrong or stealing someone's vote. And that's absurd. Stop insulting my intelligence. Come on, man. So, whereas the hundreds of days of Antifa and Black Lives Matter rioting in the country, that was nothing. Burning down the president's church, which remained under assault for days, and driving President Trump to the bunker, well, come on, man, that wasn't a thing. That wasn't an insurrection. Settle down. Come on. Beating Trump supporters at gala balls in Washington, D.C., assassinating a Trump supporter in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) Oh, no problem. Come on. I mean, this is no big deal. It's Trump. Making up out of whole cloth of Trump-Russia hoax and then getting the national security apparatus and mainstream media to go along with this Hillary Clinton election ploy, it it shocked the senses. It was one of those, I, I can't even believe we've been had again. And you need to know something. And it's something Nick Searcy learned doing this movie. They did it again. They did it again. So now we learn in Searcy's movie, Capital Punishment, several things I didn't even know about this situation on January 6th. And I know a lot about it. It's not a conspiracy theory if you can prove it. I talk with Nick Searcy about that. Go to CapitalPunishmentTheMovie.com. Learn about how to get your hands on this excellent treatment of what happened that day. I mean it. This is this is an excellent, well-made movie. Not that I expected anything less, but I'd seen some not as great treatments about January 6th. Uh, this was the whole gamut. This ran the whole gamut, the story of what happened, the story behind the story, the story of the people, the story of what it means. And it all takes place in this movie. Nick Searcy is a great storyteller. He was in the Best Picture winner, The Shape of Water, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. He was in Moneyball, Castaway, Fried Green Tomatoes, Runaway Jury, Nell, The Fugitive, And, of course, he co-starred on the hit FX series, Justified. Rush Limbaugh loved that show, and he'd talk about Nick Searcy all the time. I love Nick Searcy, he would say. Searcy's teamed up with an award-winning and inspiring filmmaker, he calls him, Chris Burgard, to reveal the actual events on January 6, 2021. It is amazing. This is a riveting documentary. And at the Capitol that day, Nick and Chris saw and filmed agents provocateur pretending to be MAGA supporters. They have footage of people changing their clothes out of Antifa black block and into Trump supporting garb. And there's one huge observation that I made in the about his film that I had never known before he put it in his documentary. So listen to the trailer of Capital Punishment and then stick around for listening to my interview with Nick Searcy. On January 6, 2021, I went to Washington, D.C., along with multitudes of other Americans, because we believed that the election was stolen. What they show you on the media doesn't tell half the story. I step out, I have red dots all over my chest. I'm really scared. Um, they handcuffed They handcuffed you? Yes. The 6 was all deception. This is psychological warfare. One voice. As 
Nick Searcy, the movie Capital Punishment, produced by you and Chris Burgard, was exquisitely done. I have to say, I was, it is the only presentation that is the full story from what happened a year ago to what happened to perfectly normal law-abiding people in your storytelling mode to what really happened that day to create the chaos and learning things I did not know, but I suspected. And the storytelling was moving, as I mentioned. You provided your rueful comic relief. I thought that was great. I just want to welcome you to the Adult in the Room podcast and really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, we uh, we we found out some things we weren't looking for either. I mean, it, it was a shock to us as we went along. Can you give me an example of that? Well, just, you know, the movie started out as a... Uh, you know, we started out because we were both there and we shot stuff like tourists. And then when we watched what was on the media, it didn't look like anything what we'd seen. Mm. Like the media wasn't showing all the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that were there at the speech that were just happy, law-abiding, patriotic people, you know, praying, singing songs, singing the Star Spangled Banner, saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, all they showed on the television was this sliver of vandalism and, and violence that didn't have anything to do with what I'd seen. I didn't see any of it. So it started out, the movie was called The F Trouble with Free Speech because that's what we saw it as. It was like an attack on these people's right to assemble, right to voice their uh, concerns about the government. But as we went along and we started being introduced to people like Derek Kennison and Tony Martinez, the people that were really being punished and uh, persecuted, who did nothing wrong. You know, they didn't even go in the building. That's when we started to realize, okay, this is about, this is about how citizens are being punished simply because of their beliefs, and they're doing it to silence people and to ruin their opposition. So that's when the focus of the movie changed. And uh, the stories that these families tell are, are not only heartbreaking, they're just infuriating. Hmm. I could not believe that this was happening in the United States of America. Yeah. You were there, as you said, you were there that day. And uh, so you eventually started to put the pieces together. Your, as I say, your, your film, Capital Punishment, tells the full story. I kept thinking, oh, it's going to stop here or it's going to veer off over here. No, it was the full panoply of facts from what happened that day, you being there, your story, and the other people who were also there. I think of uh, J. Yeah. Michael Waller from the Center, Center for Security Policy. I've spoken with him before about what he saw that day and how he basically put in writing near contemporaneous story of what he saw that day. And he's a, he's a guy whose specialty is these kinds of groups that he saw that right. day on Capitol Hill. And we can talk about that, but did you see any of those kinds of groups, those sort of official looking paramilitary people and that sort of thing? Well, I saw people from time to time that I would, think that guy doesn't look right you know that guy doesn't look like one of us like that I saw a bunch of people that had on full gas masks you know walking around with gas masks on and I'm like okay we're <laughs> Trump Trump people don't like to wear any kind of masks you know because we're heartless COVID deniers who want grandma to die so anytime <laughs> you saw a, a Trump supporter in a mask you go okay what's the story with that guy 
you know, plus the fact that we're outside anyway. And, you know, just to, I, I saw a number of people like that. I would see people that would be at the front of the barricades and then start screaming at the police or something. And everybody around them, everybody around them would go, stop that. That's not us. That's not what MAGA does. Stop that. So I saw a lot of weird things like that. I didn't see I didn't see a lot of organized activity from those people. But then when we started getting footage from other people and, and you see them changing out of their black block clothes and putting on their Trump supporter clothes and like they're putting on a costume, you know, then it all started to make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. I had not seen those people changing their clothes. You have footage of that. I hadn't seen that. But um and you also saw Antifa people. I think you identified Antifa. Hey, wait a minute, that those guys that you start talking about the gas masks, but also full on black block as well that you saw yeah. that day. And you know the the other infuriating thing is Christopher Ray goes before Congress and says, you know, we haven't seen any evidence of any Antifa or BLM presence. Well, it's like John Sullivan is yeah. a known BLM activist who filmed the death of Ashley Babbitt. He's on camera saying. We got to go in here and we got to burn this blank down, you know. He, yeah. he, and and it's like I, I said to Chris, my partner, I go, we're just a couple of guys from from California. I'm just some dumb actor. I found a BLM guy. Why, yeah. why can't Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, find one? Are you shocked? Yeah. You must be shocked at seeing evidence with your own eyes and then seeing lies on Capitol Hill. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is. It's it's shocking, and and you. It, it's sad, you know, you can't believe that our government is being run like the totalitarian governments, the communist governments that we studied in school. You know, I, I, I'm so old. I remembered when I remember when communism was kind of a bad thing and like, <laughs> it, it was taught that way in schools, you know. And uh, yeah, it's 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 really shocking. And I think a lot of people don't want to believe that it's happening, but it's happening. You did you ever get the impression while you were there and sort of seeing a few things that you saw that you were in the middle of some psyop or something? I mean, I don't like to sound conspiracy theorist or anything. I I was I was very angry about what had happened that day. And the more I learned about it, the more angry I got about it because people were lying about it then. Then that's then I started getting mad about that. Um, but there was one expert, your national security expert in your film, called this a political warfare operation. Yeah. Well, it didn't occur to me at the time. You know, I saw what I saw. And most of what I saw, like I said, were, you know, kind of happy, joyful people that, you know, were there because they believed that uh, there were problems with the election, which there were. Um, and so I, I didn't really start to put anything together in terms of like, that this was a psyop until later after we started talking to these people. And then, you know, that was the only thing that kind of made sense about the day. You know, I, I, I called into the Rush Limbaugh show uh, on that day at about one thirty. you know, because I'm friends with Bo Snurdly and I hosted Rush Limbaugh once. Mm-hmm. And I gave kind of a live on the ground report. And I remember Todd Herman was sitting in for Rush that day. And he was like, what's the crowd like? And I go, I go, well, they're, they're pretty joyful. They they seem to be very up on the issues, but they're they're kind of singing and happy. I said it, it kind of feels like a tailgate party. It, it, you mm-hmm. know, it's 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 kind of a party atmosphere, and that's really what I saw. I mean, I saw a bunch of people on the steps of the Capitol, but they were 
waving flags and they were singing, we're not going to take it. You know, it was it was all kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, my phone went dead and I was cold and I was like, looked like it was winding down anyway. And I went on back to where we were staying. And then after that, that's when all hell broke loose. I, I didn't see any of it, you know. You know, it sort of fits with the profile uh, in some respects. I mean, of course, after dark, that's when Antifa gets things done. This happened. This started uh, the Capitol breach started in right after, I guess, about one seventeen, And Trump was still speaking at that. Yeah, point. I mean, that's another thing that we discovered in the film is, is uh, you know, Ray Epps, this guy. There's more and more coming out about this guy. Mm hmm. But he had organized, he had people there that were, you know, kind of in coded gear, you know, a couple of guys that had their their Trump hats on backwards, which was supposed to be some sort of signal of what side you were on. And there's footage of him giving orders to these people. They actually went to the Capitol before Trump stopped speaking, like you said. And one of the things they did was they took down all the fencing. Yeah. There was fencing up and signs that said, do not enter restricted area. Well, they took all that down so that when people marched over to the Capitol, they didn't know that they were entering a restricted area because all the warning sites had been taken down. And a lot of these people that are facing all these years in prison, that's one of the charges, entering a restricted area. And they're like, well, they took the signs down. We didn't see that we were in a restricted area. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Some of the people who did that, I know the Martinez family was jacked up by the FBI for, was it, is it Tony Martinez? I can't remember yes. his first name. Yeah. So here he is with his friend. They go and they're, and they're looking at it. And did they, they went in, right? Didn't they? Or did no. they choose not to go? Oh, okay. So they didn't even go in. They were just in the restricted area facing. No, they, there's a scene in the movie where they talk about, you know, we saw people going in and what do you think? And they looked at each other and said, no, that that looks like a trap. It oh, looks like that a was spider. them saying that. Okay. Yeah, that looks like a spider web. I'm not doing that. <laughs> and so what happened was they had brought first aid gear, you know, because that's the kind of guys they were. They said, if anybody gets hurt, we want to be ready. I mean, these are devout Christian men. You know, these are guys, the type of guys that carry around pocket constitutions in their pockets to give to kids. You know, these are these are guys you would feel safe living next door to. And to have them treated like this, treated like criminals. The one guy, Derek, when the FBI came to his house, they photographed all his Trump paraphernalia like it was evidence. And they found a box of pocket constitutions in his garage and photographed that. Like this is some sign that what we're dealing with here is some insane radical right winger because he carries the Constitution around with him. Yeah, I did hear about that. I I didn't realize that was his, I mean, until I saw the movie, which was, as I say, beautifully told. There are essential, uh, these are essential, I think, turnkey, uh, rent a mob, you know, one spark, you just flip the switch and you've got a rent a mob there and and, uh, there's chaos that ensues. And what shocked me, this is the part that shocked me, only because I had never seen the footage you had Lisa Fithian on video planning that op. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'd heard she was somehow involved. Now, Lisa Fithian, for those who are listening who do not know, she was the person who helped organize uh, Occupy Wall Street. She taught 
leftist anarchist organize she was the organizer of all those people teaching militant anti-police tactics she was in ferguson missouri to teach black lives matter at its infancy how to riot how to go anti-cop do whatever it was to create chaos and she was at january 6th was she there on premises did anybody get any footage of her or was she all black blocked out I don't know if she was there or not. I mean, a lot of that footage of her came from our friend Millie Weaver, who's also in the film, and she had made a film previously talking about this. I, I don't know if those people were there or if they were just organizers. Um, but that's the, that is the real frustrating thing, is that if they were there, we'll never know because the FBI would lie about it. They would say that they weren't because they are covering up any idea suppressing any idea that anybody was there other than crazed right-wing white supremacist, racist, insurrectionist, terrorist. You know, <laughs> that's, that's their take on everything. And they're not going to let any evidence come out that refutes that. That's why they've suppressed 14,000 hours mm. of video footage of what happened that day. They're hiding the truth. Yeah. As one of your experts said it's not about Russia collusion, it's not about systemic racism, it's not about police brutality, it's not about climate change, it's not about global warming, it's not about fill in the blank, he said. What it's about is control of the state and power. Yeah, and and we see it all around us. I mean, that's what the whole COVID frightened, you know, scare tactic is about. All of this, everything that they do, all of those things that John Guandolo mentioned, All of these are just tactics. They're ways to increase power and to divide Americans against each other. That is the point of all of this. They want to divide us and say, this group of people who thinks this way, they are bad citizens. We have to get rid of them. We have to make sure they never have any say in our electoral process ever again. They need to be disqualified. And Evan Sayet, who's also a really smart author and comedian that's in the movie, he talks about, he compares it to regimes in the past that have actually murdered people that dissented, actually built camps and killed off people that the government found undesirable. He says now they don't have to go to all that trouble because that's very messy. That's very messy having to clean up all that, all the dead bodies and stuff. Now they can just erase people. They can just take them off of social media. They can make their voices go away, and they don't have to go to the trouble of physically killing them. It's very chilling. It's, it's, it, that's why the movie was originally called The Trouble with Free Speech, but it, it turned into a movie more about punishment than about, uh, than about the ideals of the Constitution what have that you are learned? being violated. What have you learned since uh, releasing the film? It hasn't been that long since that was released. Um, and are there any follow-ups that you can tell us about that you found out and you maybe would put in another film or some follow-up uh, that you're planning to do? Well, there were certain things that we were cautious about going too far out on a limb about, you know, because um, we didn't want to be proven wrong or, you know, accused of slandering someone or that sort of thing. So, we couldn't come right out and say what we thought about Ray Epps. You know, he he's in the film, people around him, he's in the movie saying, we've got to go in the building tomorrow. We've got to go in there. And everybody around him is chanting, fed, fed. We're not doing that. Fed, fed. Mm-hmm. And so we couldn't come right out and say Ray Epps 
FBI instigator. But just last week, a huge article came out in Revolver.com sort of proving what we thought about Ray Epps mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. proving proving the fact that the FBI knew there were people there. They put people there, and we could only hint at that in the movie. We couldn't say it outright. I liked how you wove it with the Whitmer kidnapping plot because we saw some of the same ways of doing things by the FBI that we saw in that case with what happened in the Capitol, uh, the Capitol riot. And yeah. uh, it's, well, I mean, it's frightening when your government can just turn all of everything against a citizen. Well, the thing about it, too, is that Enrique Tarrio, the head of the Proud Boys, he talks about infiltration in that group. And one of the things he talks about is like the FBI infiltrates everybody and has for years. Mm-hmm. They've been doing this all along. And it's just now it's become obvious, you know, what happened in the Whitmer case. And, you know, one of the one of the things I say to people that that dismiss this and go, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. I always want to ask them, I said, when, what was it, when were you convinced that the government would never lie to you? What event was it? Was it the Iraq war? Was it Vietnam? Was it JFK? Was it the Tuskegee experiments? Was it Jesse Smollett? You know, what was it? When, when did you come to the conclusion that it's absolutely impossible for the government to be telling us a lie and anyone who believes that is some sort of un-American, uh, you know, dis- dis- dissident? It's, I, I, I don't understand these people. Where, what happened to all the skepticism that, you know, I grew up with in the 60s and 70s where it's like you can't trust the man? Now they say if you don't trust the man, you need to be in prison. What, what was your own personal moment that you said, this is, this is crap? I mean, not necessarily on the Capitol insurrection thing that they want to call an insurrection, the riot, but in your own life. I mean, was there one event? Was there an epiphany? Was there that uh, moment of truth? For me, it was Clarence Thomas getting raked over the coals by Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy and watching that debacle. And I kept thinking, you know, I thought they were for black people. Oh, no, right. no, no, no. They're for politics. They're for no. their own politics. Right. And my, the scales fell from my eyes. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, in my case, I, I, I remember I wasn't that politically aware, or let's say I wasn't paying that much attention to politics in the early part of my life. I was, uh, you know, obsessed with being an actor, and so I was doing plays, and I just didn't think about it that much, but uh, when my daughter was born in 1989, that's when things started to get more serious to me. And, you know, OK, I can't just play at this silly hobby. I've got to really make a living at it. And that's when I started ma- paying more attention to what was going on around me. And I-, I must say, the Clarence Thomas thing, that was right around the time that I first discovered Rush Limbaugh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would listen to Rush on these long drives I had to make. Uh, to 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 go to auditions in North Carolina, and it was around that time that I started going, "Hey, there, there's something something going on here, you know? Why is this black man being treated this way by these Democrats? And and what really is the problem here?" Just had a couple more questions because I know you've got a scoot, but um, have you spoken with Trump about your movie? No, no, I haven't. Um, 
you know, Michael Flynn is in the movie. There's there's people in the movie that are friends of, of, of President Trump's. I And I am told that he's aware of the film, but I, I'm not sure if he's watched it or not. I, I really don't know. I haven't haven't heard any confirmation of that one way or the other. We could sure use Andrew Breitbart and Rush Limbaugh right about now, don't you think? I, uh, I, I began to care more about, you know, what I believe about the country than I did about my, uh, you know, trying to get that next part on that <laughs> next leftist show that I had to bite my tongue and, and, uh, and, and say my lines for. You, know. you sure have had a, an amazing career. What was your favorite movie? That you were in, I mean. Well, you know, they, they, it keeps changing over the years. I mean, Fried Green Tomatoes was, of course, the first time I really had, you know, a, a really good, meaty role. So that will always be, you know, very special to me. Justified was very special because, you know, six years of that show. And I, I loved that character. I based that character on my own father. Um, but I must say, this uh, movie that I just finished... In November, I did a movie with the with the Daily Wire that starred Gina Carano, ah. called called Terror on the Prairie, and I mean I think it might be actually in terms of size and and quality probably the best role I've ever had in a film. Wow, that's it. Well, that's saying something coming from you. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's it's you know I'm kind of a. I'm kind of the lead opposite Gina Carano, although we're adversaries in the movie. But you know, I'm 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 pretty bloodthirsty bad guy, and it, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, do you still think all is lost? Well, I don't think all is lost. I think I think that uh, you know our country is going to go through a terrible upheaval. But you know, being a Christian, I know how the story comes out. I, I know that, uh, you know, while things of this world will fade away, it doesn't mean that all is lost. And uh, I think this country will change, probably not for the better, uh, and probably not change back in uh, in my lifetime. Because the, there's there's been endemic damage done by the leftist march through the institutions. We have generations of, of children that, that are now brainwashed who uh, are are not even capable of hearing the conservative side of things because they have been so successful at demonizing us and saying that anyone who thinks like we do is some sort of hateful homophobic racist you know white supremacist or whatever the 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 buzzword of the day is so i think it's going to take some time to undo that and i think that what we have to do to undo that is attack the culture the way they have. We have to start making, you know, entertainment that that reflects our values rather than just ceding that to the left and letting them poison our children with it from the time they're old enough to sit in front of the television. That is what has happened to this country. And until conservative investors start realizing that entertainment is important, feature films are important, we need to invest in these things, until that starts to happen, I don't think we're going to turn this around. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But, I, you know, I, I, do, I do try to stay optimistic. And, and that's one of the, I think, uh, one of the main 
features of the end of the film is that we the end of the film is like we have got to stop being afraid of these people. Mm-hmm. We we have got to stop letting them bully us into silence because that's what they're trying to do. That's why they're treating these people this way. They want to send uh, uh, fear through the community, saying, "Don't be one of these people. This is how you're going to be treated." That's what COVID's about. That's what climate change is about. Yep. Everything they do is totally about agree. scaring the public into submission. And we we have to be brave. We have to be brave and stand up to it. Evan Sayet said something in, in your film as well. Uh, he talked about how Jews were put into um, ghettos for a reason, and that was so that they would be separated from others so that others could not see their uh, their humanity, I thought. Yeah. They hmm. couldn't hear their voices. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty stunning, stunning uh, observation of his. And he's very erudite and... Uh, just really enjoyed. And you him. see what's happening now with social media. They just censor anybody that they like Marjorie Taylor Greene, like the president himself, you know, that anybody that disrupts the narrative of everybody has to get in line and obey, or you're all going to die of COVID or we're all going to destroy the planet. Anybody who tries to refute that just gets wiped off the, the surface of, of social media. And so that they're, Voices can't be heard, much You're, like much like the Jewish ghettos. You are still there. I'm shocked. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe I'm not very effective. Maybe they think, let that guy go. He's not doing anything. I don't know. Oh, you're, you're not doing anything. Sure. This movie is just amazing. Really, well, really well told. Uh, entertaining. Your, uh, your funny bits in there were awesome. Well, we we decided that we had I, – I can't really make a movie without making a few stupid jokes. It just sort of keeps me going. But also, as we were cutting it together, it was like, you know, if we don't put some humor in here, this is going to be like an airplane crash. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like a two-hour descent into oblivion. <laughs> You know, and so that's that's kind of why we put that stuff in there. I thought your vignette, um, Ashley Babbitt, was well done, too. And I've never seen her husband interviewed to that extent before. It was really wonderful. Yeah. Well, that was a big goal. We wanted to humanize her because she'd been so demonized by the left and called a called an insurrectionist, terrorist, traitor, and all this crap. And so we wanted to make sure everybody knew what she was really like. And, and who took the video of her murder? John Sullivan. John Sullivan, the Antifa slash BLM guy. And that video, I mean, you know, I've watched it a lot of times. It's it's about two minutes long. That video is so bizarre. It's so surreal. Nothing in it makes sense. You see people breaking windows, breaking windows, hitting them with sticks, two by fours. Ashley Babbitt's not even there. And then you see that cop pull the gun out. And he's pointing it at the window that Ashley Babbitt hasn't arrived in yet. Yeah, I kind of wondered. I, I guess I didn't put, connect that dot, but I did realize. I thought, I thought, did he already did he already fire? And then then he shoots, and I thought, huh, that's so yeah. interesting. That, that was why, a delayed why reaction. Is he not, if he's there to protect the Capitol, why is he not pointing that gun at the people that are actually doing the damage? I know. Why is he? Why is he focused it on something where someone's not there yet? I mean, it's it's very strange. And then after she gets shot, you see that she was surrounded by policemen yeah. with long rifles. Yeah. And he shoots right into this crowd of policemen, shoots her, she falls to the ground, and nobody does anything. Nobody moves to help her. 
No, everybody's just standing around watching her bleed. Yeah. It's 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 baffling. Well, one guy goes to her aid, but you know, he, yeah, what finally, was, finally, yeah, yeah. The um, Andrew Bronca, the law of self defense guy, who I really trust in many of these kinds of cases, Alec Baldwin case, and, and Kyle yeah. Rittenhouse, and all these these cases that he takes apart. He said that this was a uh, uh, the shooting of Ashley Babbitt was a justified shooting, and he said it was because those guys with the long guns hadn't yet arrived up the stairs yet. However, I went back and replayed that video again. Uh, multiple times today, and there were two uniform. There weren't uniforms, but they were plain clothes guys off against the wall. Yeah, standing there, and I, I just like, do you really shoot where there are people who are Capitol employees, whether they're cops or not? I mean, yeah. do you do you do that? No, I I know a guy who was there uh, in 2012 when a terrorist began picking off people in a shopping center, and he drew down on that guy with his Glock, and he he drew down on him, and the guy, he ran around the corner, and he shot himself because he didn't want to get shot by this guy. And I said, why didn't you fire at him? He goes, well, yeah. uh, he goes, there was a, an entire store that were full of people that I could have been full of people. I didn't know because I couldn't see because they were all trained to bring down the, the gates and to put out the lights. I didn't know who was back there. And I thought, right. well, so he doesn't do that. This is a security guy. And then, and then, uh, so here's Ashley Babbitt and the guy just picks her off. I mean, yeah. great shot. If great is something you're trying to achieve there, but I, uh, I couldn't believe all the uniforms around her and him doing that. That just blew my mind. Yeah, and Aaron Babbitt does a good job of of uh, the use of force continuum, explaining that. And that officer didn't do any of that. He didn't verbalize. He didn't say, get away from the window. He didn't say anything. He just shot. He just shot her. And, you know, the other part of it is that why was he not you? If he was going to stop people from coming in there, why didn't he train his gun on the people that were that were breaking windows right in front of him? It was a closer shot, like John Sullivan, closer shot. Yeah, but you know he didn't even he didn't even look like he thought about it. You know he never even moved the gun in their direction. No verbal warnings, no stop what you're doing, no stop or I'll shoot. None of that. Just the gun is up there for 45 seconds, waiting for someone to come through that window, and when she does, he shoots her. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have mattered who it was. Yeah. Well, she did it. She breached. And he had a shoot-to-kill order. And that's what happened. That's what yeah, happened. I, I suppose so. But, you know, why? Why I, is that the case? You know, that, that the, the, there was no evidence that she had a weapon. Mm -hmm. You know, there was no reason to think that she was a threat. Well, she was breaking into the Capitol. So, yeah, I mean, that's his order. Like, if somebody breaks through, this is the sealed off, por I assume, this is the sealed off portion. You do not let anyone get beyond this. And so she's the first one to breach, even though other people broke the windows. Yeah, but she's not the first one to breach. That's the thing. They're, those windows were broken out, and he could have said something at that point. If you come through that window, I'll shoot. Hmm. You know, he could have made that order, and he didn't. And that makes me think that the, the killing was deliberate. And what they really wanted, Victoria, is they wanted hundreds of people dead. They wanted a massacre. Because if they had a massacre, they could make it even worse than they've made it already. 
That's that's the real cynical view of that of that killing. They wanted more people dead. Maybe that's why they have such bizarre ways of comparing and contrasting one six to nine eleven. I guess the two dates have numbers in them. Uh, Kamala well, Harris did that today. It was just shocking. It was really utterly nonsensical. Well, no, it's insane, and it's it's such a deliberate, preposterous lie. I mean, you know, I made the joke today. They said that you know she equated it to to Pearl Harbor. You mm-hmm. know, January sixth was like Pearl Harbor, and I I said, well, maybe she meant Pearl Harbor the movie, that Ben Affleck <laughs> thing. That was pretty bad. <laughs> you know that. That 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 movie was worse than the whole Vietnam War, really. So, I mean, it, it's just it's insane. And, I mean, and and the way they talk about it, it's like I can't believe there's anyone, even on the Democrat side, that is silly enough, brainwashed enough, jaded enough to actually buy that. That January sixth, where two women so far were murdered by police are the only casualties of the day. And they're comparing that to thousands of people being slaughtered. It, it, it's, it's, it's sick. It's totally sick. I think, do you think they, they were able to pull the midterms out of the crapper with this routine today? No, I don't think anything they do is going to do that because I think they're going to lose anyway. Their only chance is, is election fraud, which is why they're, fighting so hard to legalize ballot harvesting and to legalize ballot stuffing because that's their only chance. I don't think they won the last election, you know, and that, that's why everybody was there anyway. There's a lot, a lot of people who don't believe they won the last election, and I think they're counting on fraud to win the next one. Yeah, well, if you, you, um, if you legalize it, it's not illegal. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly slavery what was legal too. Slavery was legal, you know. If you and and that's the thing. That's what's so dangerous about where we are right now. And you know, thank God for Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema and a few Democrats here and there that just look at this and go, you know, this is this is evil. This is going to come back and hurt the country. And uh, hopefully, there's going to be enough people. And you know, I, I can't say that I'm very happy with the way the Republicans fight either. I mean, what what Ted Cruz said yesterday mm-hmm. is preposterous. You know, <laughs> and 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 he they sound like Democrats, and it I it can't gives I a lo- believe it. I mean, Ted Cruz, what? That, it's a terrorist attack. What are you talking about, Ted? Come on, yeah. man. <laughs> well, it, it gives a lot of credence to those people that say, you know, it's only one party; they're just all playing a part. You know, that's when they start to think, okay, you look at Liz Cheney, you look at Adam Kinzinger, mm-hmm. you look at Ted Cruz, you look at Lindsey Graham. Yeah, okay, they could be controlled opposition. They could be just pretending to stand for conservative principles because when it's time to do it, they don't do anything. They let these people languish in solitary confinement in horrible conditions simply for trespassing, and, and, and they don't do anything about it. They, they let the censorship of... Marjorie Taylor Greene go without very much of a whimper. You know, that they don't fight for anything. So mm-hmm. what good are they? Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. Thank you so much, Nick Searcy. I know you have a million other interviews, and I appreciate your spending some time with me today. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, uh, for, thank you for giving a, me a voice, and, and hopefully people will go to capitalpunishmentthemovie.com and uh, 
you know, we'll get this get this out there. It's really good. It's really good. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Adult in the Room podcast. To keep the programs you like to listen to, please rate this podcast with a fantastic five stars on your Apple podcast app every time you listen and give me a great review. Plus, of course, subscribe to the podcast. It makes a difference with the big tech algorithm and the big tech oligarchs, and it makes us easier to find. Please get in touch with me on all the big tech stuff. Yeah, we're still there. Using the names Victoria Taft or the Adult in the Room podcast on MeWe, Parlor, Minds, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks to 1A Cast for imaging, editing, and production. The fantastic song is Gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for Antifa versus Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by Raps by RC. The Adult in the Room podcast is also a production of Flamingo Road Studios. Remember, head up, heart out, and strive to be the adult in the room. Till next time, mischief managed. <laughs>